suggest is that as we become overly familiar with some concepts, they begin to lose our, their meaning for us. And as we, be, we begin to become overly familiar with some prayers, they begin to lose our, their, their, its meaning for us. And I want to unpack this meaning for you, and I want, I want us to think about what Jesus was after when he taught us to pray like that. You know, I want to begin today by, by telling you um, that I had a wonderful vacation. How many people love vacations? I don't know. I think the older I get, the more I love them. It's like two hands up, you know? It's like uh, my family and I went to Newfoundland. I think Joyce mentioned that last week. I am not going to sing Eyes the Bies that Builds the Boats, primarily because it's one of those songs. I don't know about you, but do you sometimes get a song stuck in your head? I did. And I sang that probably, I don't know, I drove my family crazy. They said, Dad, stop that. You know, like, but it was great. Uh, Heather and I were walking in Twillingate down the road, and there was a fellow there who was offering buggy rides behind a horse. And he said, hey, boys, want to ride? Like that. <laughs> the accents are much more pronounced outside. So apparently my wife is wise as well, which means boys. You know that? I the boys, the bills. No, it doesn't matter. Anyway, it was great. But when I come back from holidays, I always, I always have a fresh perspective. There's something I find myself thinking about differently. And, and it's very simple this time, but I came back thinking to myself, why do I do what I do? Do you ever, do you ever think that? Like, why do I bother? Like, why do I put the energy in and the passion in and the, and the work and the, and, and the focus? And I came up uh, upon my... Uh, I began to think it before I came back from holidays, but, but upon my return, I came up with a couple of answers. And um, number one, I do what I do because I am passionate that each one of you deepen and grow in your understanding and experience of Christ. Do you know that? So I do what I do, number one. I want you to know him more. I want you to love him more. I want you to deepen in your understanding more of what it means to follow him. Um, and every single one of us, no matter where we're at in the journey, we can go deeper. And I hope you're going deeper. I hope you are seeking it and intending it and pursuing it. That's why we're doing the year of the Bible, partly, to get you deeper into the faith. Hope you're reading your Bible every day, signing up for the Bible school that we advertised last week, two courses offered in September, um, planning on attending a life group, or, and so on and so forth. Oh, man, I want, I want to see you become like him and know the incredible joy we sang about it today of following Christ. Number two, I want us as a people to thrive as a church. You ever think about that? I want, I want us to, in greater and greater measure, show the reality of Christ to this world by simply being who we are. So it's like this, this beam of light goes out from IPC, and that's us. You know, it's not the building, really. But think of it like from the building, if you would, because we're all in it right now. And this beam of light's going out, and people are seeing Christ and understanding that God has come to us and that he loves us and that he can transform our lives and we can make this world function differently than it does. And that's why I do what I do. So I'm going to preach this morning. That's a big part of what I do, right? I preach, just like Jesus preached. You know, he was a preacher. And we're going to dig into a portion of what is called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, Matthew 5 through 7, and it wasn't really a, what we would think of as a mountain. You know, I saw mountains in Newfoundland. 
I didn't know there were mountains there. Did, did you know there were mountains in Newfoundland? Yeah, there are. And they're big. Jesus was preaching on what we would call a hill. But in those days, it was thought of as a mountain. And all these people had come to hear from him, and he was speaking a different message, and he was speaking with authority. He was bringing the truth of God into those people's lives. And, and, and what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, it's not a new set of rules and regulations. It's really about what life in the kingdom is like. For those people who truly choose to embrace this life, living, following Jesus, particularly in what's going on in our hearts. And he was saying, this is what it looks like. This is what you can be. This is the way of blessing. This is what it means to follow me. And I want to tell you, it was radical stuff in his day. Ultimately, that's why people killed him. Because they couldn't take what he was saying anymore, right? And in chapter, cha chapter 6, the middle of these three chapters, Jesus focuses on three activities which we engage in or which he intends us to engage in. Number one is giving. Is that the right order? Number two is prayer, yes. And number three is fasting. And he has a theme that goes through these three paragraphs which instruct us in those ways. And the basic theme is when you do what you do, don't do it for human beings to gain their approval and their applause. Do it secretly and do it for God and God alone. Because you see, in that day, when you gave money, you know, the rich people would come and they would say, look what I'm giving everybody. And they'd literally drop it in, drop it in a big barrel at the temple. Pretty good, huh? And when people were, would pray, they would stand on the street corner like the, the story of the publican and, and, um, or the Pharisee and, and the sinner and say, thank you, God, like I, that I am not like all other people. In other words, I'm better than everybody and I want you all to know. And he said when, uh, what happened then is when people fasted, they would put ash on their face and make it very obvious, I'm fasting, I'm spiritual, I'm godly, look at me. Jesus said, your reward comes from those people. If it does, it won't come from your father. But if you keep it in secret, someday he'll reward you. Just keep it between you and him. And there's something very profound in that message. What we're going to do is look at this prayer that settles into the portion of, of, of teaching on prayer. Jesus goes a little deeper with it. And, and, and he, he teaches his, his disciples, as it says in the text, I'm going to read in a, in a minute, this is how you should pray. Parallel passage in Luke, it says that the disciples asked him, uh, teach us how to pray. The focus is on how. It's not why. God, Jesus has kind of addressed that, you know, get the motivation, right? It's not why you should pray for, although that's part of it. The focus is on how to pray. Ever think about how to pray? Now, Jesus is really focused in here. He's really intentional. He's very purposeful. And he gives us this well-known prayer about how to pray. Let me read it to you. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to tell you, my friends, we take hold of the meaning and the depths of that prayer, our lives will be changed. We will go deeper into Christ. We will discover what life in the kingdom is all about. And we will be radically challenged. Let's start today with this, this first phrase, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What Jesus does, first and foremost, and it's intentional, remember he's teaching us how to pray, he starts 
with reminding us about our relationship with God, who God is to us. You know, he's laying the foundation, if you would, upon, ev- upon which everything else in the prayer will be laid. It's like when you build a house, you put the foundation down first, and then you build the, the building on top of it. And the foundation is this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, for a lot of us, and this is where the famili- familiarity kicks in, this is standard stuff. If you've been in a church a long time, I'm not assuming everyone here has, but you're going to think calling God Father is no big deal. Some of us have heard that from when we were wee little things, right? But in Jesus' day, this was just not so. The religious leaders, the most of the people in that crowd that would have been listening to him, some of them would have been shocked. The religious leaders would have been offended, highly offended. You know, Jesus is talking in ways that are far too familiar about God, way too personal for these religious leaders. God, Father who is in heaven, all over the heaven part, God is exalted and God is high and God is mighty and God is powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preach that, Jesus. And your name to be hallowed. We want your name to be revered by all people. They'd be all over that. But our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. No. You know, God is the God of creation. God is the God of power. God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God that is above and beyond us. God who is the lawgiver who will judge our failures. And these people were a lot like that God, very legalistic in their, in their focus. But to call Jesus Father, to call him, and quite literally means dad. You know, a, a God who, who knows his children and who loves his kids, a God who, 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 who takes care of his children and who can be known and loved in return. Jesus is talking about a relationship of intimate connection. And, and for these folks, many of these folks who are listening to Jesus, this is just putting God in an entire different category. And they would have stood back, as with much of the Sermon on the Mount, and said, what did you just say? Our Father? Dad? What Jesus is doing, obviously he's making a point. I want you to get that. And I want to brush away the familiarity with this phrase, this, this name of God that we, that we use. And what he's saying is first things first. When you begin to pray, when you get into the presence of God, remember that God deeply loves you. Remember that you are precious to him. Remember that he is entirely aware of your life. He knows what's going on. Remember that he is there for you. And in essence, he's saying, remember that and everything else about this prayer will be transformed. I'd add to that a little bit. Everything else about your life will be transformed question for you how do you begin your prayer when you enter into prayer with God whether it be here or at home and I'm, I just hope and pray that prayer is a significant part of your life honestly it's how we connect with this God whom Jesus called father daddy how do you how do you enter in do you bother thinking about entering in how do you start you know, a really interesting dynamic is in, in recent, a recent generation or so, there are many Christians who don't use the name Father of God anymore. They don't begin their prayer by calling God Father. A couple of reasons, decent reasons. Number one, and this might be new to you, I don't know, but God the Father is not male or female. He's certainly not male. He's spirit. And in his image, he made man male and female. 
God's above and beyond gender and sexuality and so forth. Uh, but probably more importantly, number two, is that there are a lot of people who've had really bad dads. There might be people here who have had bad dads. Dads who have been critical of them and harsh. Dads who have been distant emotionally or even absent physically. Dads who have even been abusive to them. And the idea is, you know what, if, if, if we encourage people to call God Father, all of a sudden they're going to bring that baggage, that understanding of what a father is, and they're going to attach that to God, and they're going to think God's like that, and it's going to make their relationship with God a real struggle and a difficulty. So let's not bother calling him Father. I'll tell you, for a little while I bought into that until I began to ask two questions. Number one, why does Jesus in this prayer and in many, many places re reveal to us God as Father? Like, what was he trying to communicate? What was he trying to tell us? Number one. And number two, and probably even more importantly, what do we lose when we stop calling God Father? When we stop beginning our prayer recognizing him as our dad? Not, and, 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 you know, the reality is what we have to do, quite frankly, I'm just going to put it out there for you to think about and to process, we have got to redeem the term. We have got to stop thinking of God as our earthly fathers were because no earthly father is perfect and God is. And all fathers are good to some degree or another. Some of them are really bad and some are really great. If you had a really great father who reflects the reality of God to you, you you're doing well. You are blessed. If you have had a really bad dad, it might be harder for you to take hold of and truly believe at a deep level what I'm talking to you about. But what Jesus wants us to do is to do that very thing, redeem the term. And understand God as a perfect father who loves his children perfectly and who treats them incredibly well, who is passionate about his kids in ways that we're going to talk about here today. Jesus actually recognizes the need to distinguish and compare these two. And I want to read it to you and apply it to the, the prayer that we're looking into. Matthew 7, 9 to 11, he's teaching and he's talking about asking and seeking and knocking and so forth. And he says this. Do we have Matthew 7, 9 to 11? There you go. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Any dads here do that? Daddy, I'm hungry. Could you give me some bread? Oh, here you go, son. Have a stone. Enjoy. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get this little critter. <laughs> he, no, wait a minute. Back it up there, buddy. You know, and, and you know, you, you, you ask for fish. Dad, I'm hungry. I, I need sustenance. I need, I need to be fed. And instead of giving your child what you really need, you give him a snake to terrify him. Any dads in the, in the room who's going to run after that? Then it says this, Jesus speaking, if you then, though you are evil, even our best dads are far from perfect, believe me, even though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, note the word in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? You see what, what Jesus is doing here, he, he's coming along to these, these people, and he's saying like, you got to know that your dads are not perfect. None of them are. <laughs> but you've got to know, too, that no, w when one of his kids comes along to him and he has a real need for bread or for fish and there's a real uh, pressing thing in the child's life that the child needs, you have a father in heaven who loves that child so much that he's going to give that child what they ask for because he loves the child. You see the, re the, the relevance to prayer? 
how incredibly important it is for us to begin with an understanding of who God really is in our minds, have it dwelling in our hearts. You see, we have a dad, and I'm going to use the phrase, that word from now on to get away from familiarity. We have a dad who loves us. We, we have a dad who has ideal and perfect motivations in his heart to bless us. He wants to give to us good things. And you know what? When we ask him for good things, what's he going to do? He's going to give those things to us. Now, I want to stand here today and ask you, how many of you really, at a deep level, believe that to be true? Because it is true. This is who God is. If you have, an, if you have received Christ as Lord, he is your dad, and he loves you, and he will act for you with passion and with eagerness and with joy because he's a perfect dad. And I want to tell you, he'd never leave you without what you need. It's not like him. It's not who he is. You know, interesting. Um, Matthew chapter 6, later in, in the same chapter that we're studying, Jesus discusses with his disciples their worry. They're worrying about, you know, where will we get our food and where will we get our clothing? Like, we're following you. We've left our jobs. Where's it? Five times in ten verses, Jesus directly or the text uses the word worry and Jesus comes along to these people and said you know you have little faith he's challenging them really directly he said the pagans run after all this kind of thing not 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 people who have a dad in heaven who loves them he said you know God feeds the birds he's going to feed you you're more important than them right and he, he clothes the flowers of the field why wouldn't they give you clothing when you need them and he says, stop lacking faith and just embrace this thing that is profoundly at the center of our understanding of God. He loves you. He loves you. And if you need something, he's going to give it to you. He says it in these words, chapter 6, verses 32, sorry, 31 and 32. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Listen, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, Jesus is painting a picture of this God of ours. He's communicating something profoundly to these people, and that is because he knows you, because he loves you, because he's a, a, an incredible dad who would never treat you poorly, he will never leave you without what you need. Let me pause for a moment. I assume everybody has needs in their lives. All of us do at some point right now. You might think back to some years ago when you had a significant need. You might anticipate a day which will come when you have a significant need. In that moment, you might pray to God and say, Lord, please satisfy my need. Food, clothing, health, whatever. Financial situation. Here's my question for you today. It's kind of like I want it to penetrate. What do you think God will do about that? Honestly. What do you think God will do with your request in your need? Because you see, what you think ultimately determines what you believe. It's the same thing, essentially. And what Jesus is saying is, we've got to start thinking differently about this God. We've got we to really believe in the depths of our hearts that this God is present, that he, he th he's crazy about us. He'd never leave us alone. He would never leave you alone in your need. He's not like that. God loves you too much to do that. 
so that when you come to him in prayer, first of all, enter into that space. Know who he is. Know his heart for you. So that when you pray, everything changes. One other text where Jesus refers to God as Father, I want to reference is Luke 15, the incredible story of the prodigal son. It's a story that's formative in my life, especially in the last 10 years. You know, you, many of you probably know the story, but for those of you who might not, son comes to a dad, and, and dad is, of course, portraying God. And um, uh, he, wants half, he wants his inheritance now, uh, something that would highly offend most dads. This dad's not offended. He actually gives him the money and off he goes and he lives a despicable life and he blows all the money and kind of bottoms out and he's hungry and he, he doesn't have food or clothing. He says, I'm going to go back to my dad. He doesn't expect a lot from dad. He's just hoping that maybe the dad would forgive him enough to let him become one of his servants. He doesn't contemplate that this dad would do more for him than that. And he comes back to his dad and his dad, oh, this dad who so loves his son is looking for him. And he's waiting because he is passionate to have his boy in his arms again. doesn't matter what he's done wrong. It doesn't, doesn't matter that he squandered half this man's wealth. All he wants is his son in his arms. And he sees his son at a, dis at a distance, and he takes off running. Old man didn't run in that day. wasn't dignified. He didn't care. His son was coming home, and he ran to that boy. And as soon as he got there, he threw his arms around his kid. And he loved him, kissed him. Son starts to confess, and the dad doesn't even let him finish. He forgives him. Okay, it's done. I forgive you. Bring sandals and, and, and a ring. Let's, let's, let's reinstitute him as, as my son again. Let's give him a place in my family, which he hasn't anticipated and doesn't deserve. He treats him with grace and with mercy, and he is overjoyed that his kid is home. You know what happens every time you sit down, whether it be here in worship or in your own home, and you pray? I just described it to you. Because your dad is thrilled that you've come to him. And he is so ready to forgive you all the nasty things you do. And I do. <laughs> forgive us our sin. And to throw his arms of love around us. And to hear us. And to remind us that we're his kids be good to us to give you believe this stuff you know my, my experience a lot of people don't our father who art in heaven hallowed be the name of the kingdom come to the, poof I'm going to think about it it's just what I've been taught <laughs> Jesus is Jesus for these people who are listening to him as I hope he is speaking to you through me he is going deep he's challenging their view of God because he knows if he can change their view of God, they will go deep in him. You see, Jesus came to earth, the Son of God came to earth to die on a cross so that we might become the children of God. Think about it. Becoming a child of God is the flip side of God being our Father. You don't have one without the other, right? You ever thought about that at any length? That for those of you who have received Christ Jesus as Lord, had your sin forgiven, run home to the Father, you're his child. Precious child. And if dads can love their kids immensely, we who are evil who can love our kids the way we do, most of us doing decently, how much more does God love you? It's like... 
when we take hold of this truth. It's transformative. You see, what Jesus is, is doing is asking us to locate ourselves. Can I use that word, locate ourselves again as a child? Not to be childish, but to locate ourselves in an understanding of father and child, a relationship of deep love going in both directions. But for the purposes of what he is saying here, his point is, what, what is it in, in essence to be a child, to be a kid, a little kid? It is that we would be willing to sit with our dad, our parents, and to receive care and love from them. To trust mom and dad to look after us and to give to us the things we need. I'm zoning in on prayer again. You know where this is going, I hope. You know, that we don't have to worry, think of the disciples and food and clothing. We don't have to worry about getting the thing we need because we've things we need because we've got a dad who's going to give them to us. You know, little kids, what, what are they given? They're given food and they're given clothing and they're given protection and they're given love and they're given significance and they're given security and they're given peace and they're given joy and the list goes on and on. What does it mean to be a kid? It's to have a dad who looks after you. And mom. They pour their love into you and they, and they provide for you. And you're blessed. You know what children do in the presence of such a father? Uh, they rest in him. They don't worry. They kind of relax. I'm taken care of. You know, I've, I've been reading through the Psalms. You, you, you know, you probably think I'm crazy, but I started reading through the Psalms the last time in 2013. And I'm still doing it. I'm in Psalm 131. I'm like, what does that guy do? Well, I'll read a Psalm probably for a couple of weeks and I'll say, God, mind the truth. Spirit of God, open my eyes to see. What a blessing it's been. And every now and then, God will take me to a different passage that has relevance. And I'll spend a couple of weeks there and I'll go back and I'll move to the next Psalm. In the last couple of weeks, I've been reading Psalm 131, and I want to read to you verse 2, first from the New International Version, and then the message. It says this. But I have calmed and quieted myself. What do you like when you're in trouble? Pressure's on, feel like you're in danger, your things aren't going well. But I have calmed and quieted myself, the psalmist writes. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Dwell on that for a few days. But let's go to the message version, which I think, I think he just hits the nail on the head uh, as Peterson writes this paraphrase. I've kept my feet in the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart, like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Think of a mother holding a child and the sense that that child has of safety the sense that that child has that my needs are met. The sense that that child has that they don't have to worry about what coming, is coming next because I'm in my mom's arms. See, God is mom-like. And we are to be child-like and rest in his care. And I'm kind of here to ask you today, is this where you're at or do you need to take some steps? 
because we can get to that place where we cultivate a quiet heart because we know that we have a dad in heaven who loves us so much he'll never leave us alone and he'll never leave us without and he'll always provide what we need. And when we ask him for anything that is good for us, he's going to give it because he wants to. That's amazing. That's amazing. You see, what Jesus is doing here, and I've said this already, he is challenging these people in that day, their view of God. He's saying to those legalists, those pharisaical-type folks, you think God is big and distant and judgmental and harsh and and demanding? That's not who God is. You got it wrong. That God in heaven, if you want to start at the beginning, first and foremost, he's your dad, and he's with you, and he loves you. And he's never going to leave you alone. And if you need it, you're not going to get judgment. You're going to get forgiveness and mercy and grace. And you're going to get it in huge measure. Whenever you come into his presence, he's going to run to you like the prodigal son's dad ran to him. And he's just going to take you in his arms, filled with joy that you are with him again. And in that place, you can rest. You can have peace. You can have a quieted heart because... He's got it. You're the child. He's the dad. You know, uh, <clears throat> when my uh, first child was born, we flew to Florida. Uh, I've used this illustration about 15 years ago, so if anybody remembers it, tell me. I'd love to know, because if you don't, I'll use more that I used 15 years ago. <laughs> and we were flying to Florida, and uh, I was in the seat. I can picture it in my mind. For some reason, we got, you know, the bulkhead area, so we had lots of space. Maybe somebody was kind to us with an infant. And, uh, you know, he was all wrapped up. You know how little kids get really bundled up tightly, and he was in my arms. And um, I thought, you know, we're flying at 30,000 feet. That's a long way up. We, we, we... This, this, this child has no idea where he is. None. He doesn't know where he's going. He has no clue where he's going. And it just struck me <laughs> so profoundly. He doesn't need to know where he's going. He is at rest. He is at peace because he's in his dad's arms. You get it? Dad was taking care of him, and I'm just human. But he was able to trust me. I want to tell you, that's what it means to rest in the provision of God. When you come to God and you have requests, you need to know who he is. And, and if, when you come to God and you're struggling with whatever struggle you face at the moment, you need to know that he's there for you and that he will provide and he'll see you through. You need to rest in him. And you don't need to worry. Oh, man, I wish I could learn this more profoundly and deeply. I'm way better now than I was 30 years ago or even 10 years ago. But, man, I, we don't have to worry. Period. Like, why would we? It's the God of heaven who is revered. He is the almighty, all-powerful one. He's just ready to give and give and give. To his kids. 
My friends, how do we, no, how do you go deep in faith? How do you take a step further in your understanding and experience of Jesus? You change your view of God. Maybe folks here today who grew up in the legalistic environment and they think God is that distant, far off, critical, judgmental, harsh God. I'll just be really honest. You're wrong. According to Jesus, you're wrong. You've got a wrong view of God. And there's a different view of God that Jesus brings to us, and I've tried to communicate to you today. And I would really encourage you to pursue it until you literally think that is what he's like. And as a result, then, believe it. So much so that it changes who you are in him. You will be ushered into a relationship with God. It isn't rule-oriented. It isn't about guilt and judgment. It isn't about doing what you're supposed to do. Ah, gone. It's all about love. Being blown away with this God we've come to know. Blown away. You will see him answering your prayer because you will have faith to believe that he's going to give to you because you know who he is. You will have joy as you are embraced in his grace. My friends, this can change your relationship with God. And that's what Jesus was after when he spoke to those people on the mountain. Because he knew he, they needed to change their view of God. Jesus says, Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, speaking to the legalists, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my particular understanding of faith, upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. <laughs> We're invited into abundant life, which means nothing other than having a life which is as good as it gets. Now, I'll finish by saying this. I know Joyce preached for 20 week, minutes last week, and I'm thinking, like, I hope they haven't gotten used to that. Like, oh... <laughs> <clears throat> holy cow, I'll be out the door in an instant, you know. I think, I, I will finish with this, though, I promise. <laughs> there are people here who understand themselves to be children of their dad, and they live this. And their faith is their greatest joy. And they love to go into his presence and know his embrace. And they ask their dad for what they need, and their dad gives it takes care of them, protects them, provides for them. They, they live it. But I'll bet you, too, there are people here who are children of God, and they don't live it because they don't yet believe it. They've, they've entered into the kingdom. They've had their sin forgiven, but they haven't grappled with the reality of who God is and that he loves them the way that he does. They don't, they're not there yet. I'm here to challenge you. I really am. Will you take that step? Will you, will you seek a, a, a biblical, Jesus-oriented understanding of God? Because when you do, I want to tell you, this, this life with Christ opens up, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a thing of joy. It's not always easy. Hard times, yeah, no question. But even then, you know he's there. And he'll provide, and he'll take you through. Because he loves you. Let me finish with this. While there are people here who, who are children and know it and live it, and there are probably people here who are children who don't really know it and don't live it, there are probably people here who aren't yet children of God. Um, 
who have not yet come to that place of trusting Christ to the point of, of entering into a relationship with God so that you can call him father because you've become a child. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Yet to all who did receive him, referencing Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The right, the privilege, the awesome privilege to enter into this relationship with that God, to live that life. And um, I guess I'm, I, what I want to do as I wind up is just ask the questions. Is there anybody here who doesn't have that but who wants it? To receive Christ is all you need to do. You just come into God's presence and say, I believe, Father, that your son came, Jesus, and he died on a cross for my sin. And I pray that you'll forgive me my sin based on what he has done for me. And I invite you into my life. I want to be your child. And I want you to be my dad. And I want you to look after me. I want to have that relationship. I want to love you, and I will love you, but I want, you, I want it. All you got to do is ask. State the faith. Say, I believe in Jesus. Confess the sin. I'm sorry. I, it's, I am. And I invite you in. We're going to close just by giving a, a moment of silence. I've done this before, and I'll do it again. But if that's you and you want this, just sit in the presence of the God I've described, the God Jesus described by calling him Father, <clears throat> and just, just pray that prayer. And you know what? In a, in a moment of time, you transition into becoming a child of God <laughs> and having a dad in your life who's going to love you now and through eternity. Let's just pause, and then I'll pray to conclude. Lord, there may be people here today who, um, who want what has been described. And for those people now, Lord, we just give a moment, uh, we pause to let them quietly um, pray to you, hear their prayer. And Lord, for those who long to be your child, we pray now you'll make them your own, that they might call you Father, and that you might call them your children. Father God, Dad, what an amazing thing it is that we are yours. What an incredible thing it is to believe that you love us as you do. To know that you've sent your one and only son, your unique son, Jesus, to die on a cross, that we might become your children, that we might live this life in your presence, in your knowledge under the influence of your love, you giving to us time and again the things that we need, us being able to love you back. Lord, for all of us here, we pray together that you will open new doors for us to walk through, that you will show us more deeply and profoundly how much you love us until we actually think that you are who you are.
believe it in our hearts and so discover what it means to follow Jesus in the way that you long for us to follow him. God, I pray for these people. I pray a blessing over them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will work deeply in their hearts, that you'll open their eyes, that you will lead them to faith in the way that you have defined it. Bless us, God. Bless us as individuals. Help us to thrive in Christ. Bless us as a church. Help us to thrive in what you have blessed us with. God, this we pray in Jesus' name.